Thank you for joining me here at the Real Rescue Podcast, powered by Vertical Helicast. This episode is being sponsored by Breeze Eastern. Now, coming up next, this is part one of my conversation with the boys down in Riverside County, California. They have some recent rescues that they've done that are incredible, and we get the full detailed stories up next. So please welcome three guys from the Riverside County Sheriff's Department. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Real Rescue. Oh, yeah. We're going to do this again. You know why we're going to do it again? Because we already had these guys on at one point. It was Mr. Mike Calhoun. He was episode number 44. We had a full conversation with him, with uh, what you guys do down in Riverside, California. Riverside, California, with the Riverside Sheriff's County County Sheriff's Office. Did I say that right? Riverside yeah, County Riverside Sheriff's I think I missed Department. It. Yeah. That's what I meant. Riverside That's what I was County talking about. Sheriff's yeah, yeah, yeah. Department. Or office. Riverside County Sheriff's Department in Riverside, California. Riverside County, yeah. California. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Riverside County, California. All right, right on. Well, gentlemen, thank you for coming in. And uh, I'm pretty psyched because we get to talk about a whole bunch of rescues that you guys have done recently. And to make this even a little bit cooler is um, we sent out a questionnaire to a bunch of people online and throughout Instagram and, and said, hey, if you guys have a question about any of the rescues, Mike, you had the videos up and we were able to post a little clip of it, send the, send the questions out. So we're going to hit some of these questions towards the end of the, the interview. But uh, for right now, if you guys don't mind, just a quick introduction of who you are and what your position is at, uh, at the aviation unit. Mike, let's start with you. Hey, thanks, Quinny. Good to see you again. Uh, yeah, my name is Mike Calhoun. I'm a uh, corporal in the Riverside Sheriff's Aviation Unit, uh, one of the rescue pilots, and uh, been with the department 22 years, and been with the Air Unit uh, 16. Um, yeah, so uh, currently a full-time rescue pilot in the uh, uh, department. Right on. Manny. Jason, thank you, brother, for uh, having us back, man. It's always good talking to you. Uh, Thanks, man. My name's good Manny. seeing you, too. Manny Romero, yeah, man. Uh, Manny Romero. Uh, I also am a pilot with the Riverside County Sheriff's Department Aviation Unit. Um, I've been with the department. This March will be 20 years. I've been in our aviation unit uh, about 15 of those years, uh, or at least been part of it for the past 15 years. And uh, I'm currently assigned to the rescue rescue unit within uh, within our unit. Nice. Best job Perfect. <laughs> Best job in the yeah. world. All right. I, I enjoy my job too. I'm just going to throw that out there. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. Travis, what do you got, man? Uh, thanks for having us on, Quinn. Uh, I'm Travis Lloyd. I'm a deputy sheriff with the Riverside County Sheriff's Department. Uh, I've been there going on 17 years. And I'm currently an EMT rescue specialist on our uh, Rescue Night helicopter and hoist operator. Nice. Right on. Well, again, thank you guys one. for coming on. I uh, oh ooh, man, drop that. Travis, 
You, you, your bar is set here now. He said you're a badass. I'm just saying. Well, I don't know about that, but <laughs> you are. Way to be humble. Just own well done. Own it. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right, so guys, we're gonna talk about a couple of rescues that you've had more recently. Um, four of them specifically. Well, kind of four and a half because there's there's the. We'll get into that in a second, but the first one is gonna be a a night rescue that you guys had super dark like really dark coming in um that video all what you get to see is the hook coming down and travis i believe you're on the ground for that one right tending to the patient correct cool and then the next one we're going to tie this is kind of like our one and a half you guys were able to do a mountain bike rescue where the the injured mountain biker and then you went back and saved the bike but that wasn't the first time you did it so you do have another one that you've done that with and we're going to talk about that. Then there's a cliff rescue, which Travis, I think you were on the hook for that one as well. And some stupid high elevation. And yeah, we're going to get into that. And then the last one that we're going to talk about is a loss of power while you're bringing the rescueman and the victim up to the aircraft, which is incredible. Uh, right after that, we're going to get into everybody's questions that got posted online. Now, if there is a direct question to the rescues, I am going to plug those in towards the end of the story, but uh, I'm pretty freaking excited about this. So yeah, be fun, I'll tell you what. Awesome. So let's start with the first one. Night rescue, the night hoist rescue. What is, what did you guys get called out for? Mike, let's start with you. Okay. Uh, yeah, we, we received a call uh, for a uh, uh, injured female hiker she, uh, I guess she fell, tripped, and um, she hit her head uh, on a rock or the ground. And so she was feeling a little, little dizzy, a little woozy. And um, where she was on the trail, they were about, about 7,500 feet. And from, from the trailhead, they were still at least 30 minutes to get down to the parking lot trailhead. So she couldn't, she couldn't go any farther. And so they called 911 and uh, we get launched out, we get the call. So it's a it's it's going to be a night rescue, uh, moonless night. Uh, so there's there's nothing helping us out there as far as uh, ambient light. Uh, it's far enough away from the little town of Idlewild where you know the, the cultural lighting isn't even really going to be a factor. So um, so yeah, that makes it a little bit more difficult when there's when there's no moon on the NVGs. So yeah, we launch up and uh, we we find her location uh, based on the GPS position that she gave, uh, which has been a great. Thing that uh, most rescues we get now, almost everybody's cell phone works where they are. And so dispatch walks them through a script uh, to find out their location, uh, how to get their GPS location off their phone, and then go through the series of questions. Uh, are you hurt? Are you injured? What are you wearing? How many in your party? Uh, do you need rescue? And then so that builds us a um, kind of a, a picture of, of where we're going. So we We'll pull it up, usually Google Earth, and uh, look at it, see what the elevation is, what the terrain is, where it is in relation to everything so we can navigate there. Uh, helps us build our uh, our ETA. And so, yeah, we get overhead, and uh, uh, I was pilot, Manny was co-pilot. Uh, Travis was the, uh, the downside rescuer. And so, uh, yeah, we uh, set up. Uh, it was a bit windy. It was about 20 knots of wind we were kind of dealing with right up against a uh, – it's a pretty, pretty steep uh, – uh, mountain face and this trail called the devil slide trail it just kind of zigzags and goes back and forth and 
and where she was at, it was about the 7,500 foot level. And so we had some, some terrain to contend with and we had some trees that, um, kind of had to put Travis down through some trees onto a narrow path on the side of a, of a pretty steep mountain. And we had some pretty good boulders, uh, rock formation, uh, off to our, a little bit to the right, uh, to where I had to, I had to put the nose into the wind and that kind of put the right side of the aircraft a little bit, uh, up against the terrain there. Uh, but yeah, I'll let uh, Travis take it over and, uh, talk about what, you know, his patient assessment and everything that, you know, what he, what he did with the victim. And, but, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a good one. It was, um, yeah. Let me drop a quick question before we get into you, Travis. Are, are you guys flying under night vision goggles? Yes. Yeah. We have a uh, white phosphor. Nice. nice. Oh, nice. Excellent. Um, for those that don't know, when you fly under night vision goggles, you do need a little bit of ambient light to help pick up contrast of different uh, aspects of the ground and trees and whatnot. When you have a moonless light or moonless night, or it's pitch black, it the goggles don't actually work as as well as if you had just a little bit of ambient light in the background. So very yeah. interesting yeah. to the kind of key point to note there as you guys are are doing this stuff. So yeah, we'll just we'll use a lot of our landing light. We have a steerable landing light that we'll use, and, we'll, and I'll, I'll kind of set that light picture from my from my sight picture as a pilot off to the like about the one o'clock position and it'll help illuminate um all the the area that i need to stare at essentially and uh so i can get my my lateral and um up and down reference points uh, relative movement because uh, yeah when there when there's no moon and no cultural lighting and those mbgs are they're really pixelating they're really trying to gather whatever it can and so if you don't help it out it's going to be it's going to be more difficult on the pilot it's it really tough if you have if you don't use a landing light or a steerable. Yeah. Totally. Uh, maybe let me jump to you real quick. So you guys are on a pretty steep hill. You got Mike sitting right seat in the aircraft. You're sitting left seat. Do you have anything to look at uh, like out the left side, especially with a moonless no, night like that? Uh, no, the, the terrain's going uphill on the right side. So it's Mike's side. Um, it's not the ideal side for us. We'd like to be looking straight into the mountain. I know Mike would like to look straight in the mountain, but these winds were coming up and over that mountain um and it's a pretty good a 20 knot wind that's pushing us pretty hard so uh i think mike did the right thing put his nose into the wind kept us stable as can be uh but with those night vision goggles with there being very little ambient light uh, we were 100 percent on goggles at least i was 100 percent on goggles uh yeah. when you look off goggles and you're looking for the terrain that was off to our right which was our immediate concern uh I'd say we were probably, the rocks were coming up and above us. So uh, I would say that we were probably maybe 30 feet or so to start away from those rocks. So on goggles, you've got to be able to to judge that distance. Off goggles, it's pitch black. You cannot see out of those windows at all. So, uh, you know, Mike, Mike's humble in his flying abilities, but uh, it takes a lot of, a lot of skill to, to position that aircraft where he had it. Uh, in this scenario and in many other we'll talk about later, but, um, but it, it was definitely a hundred percent on the goggles and I couldn't see anything unless I was on goggles or I was looking over Mike's shoulder and I could see where he had his light focused. Uh, but from my position, really, I'm only seeing the tips of the trees. Dang, man. Wow. All right, Travis. So you're, you're going down into like the black unknown, the deep and the depths are you wearing goggles on the way out? No, just the pilots and the uh, hoist operator are wearing goggles at that point. 
All right, cool. So you got a little like flashlight or your yeah. like, police mag light? <laughs> yeah, the old I'm just kidding, dude. <laughs> uh, no, I got a little uh, light that I wear, and um, our rescue knight has scene lighting and a hoist light that actually lights up the area pretty good. Oh, right uh, on. Beneath okay. us. Yeah. So you have a pretty good um, visual of the ground going in? Yeah. Yeah, pretty good. Sweet. Um, all right. That trail, we've all hiked that trail. Uh, that trail goes up a couple thousand feet, I think, in like two two and a half miles. So it's um, wow. it's pretty steep, yeah. and it's pretty tree covered. Yeah. All right. So now, when you get down to the trail, uh, what was you get to the lady? Is it? Did you know who it was right out right as soon as you got down to the ground? Or no, I had to be set down probably fifty yards from where they were at because they were kind of under some tree line, and most of that trail is covered. And so she was with three other people. She was with her um, adult son. I think he was about 19 and then two other people. And um, so I was able to hike to them nearby, contacted her. She said, I think she mentioned she had slipped, fallen, hit her head on a log about a mile maybe up the trail. Um, Felt fine. She didn't have a lot of head trauma. But then uh, after walking down about a mile, she started getting nauseous and dizzy. So she may have had a concussion. Dang, man. All right, so now, was she under a canopy when you got to her and you had to continue to walk, or could you hoist her out in the area that you were at? No, we had to walk her a little bit, just a little ways, maybe 25, 30 yards, nothing crazy. Right on. Um, to a, a more clear opening. Gotcha. Now, out of curiosity, with your assessment, because uh, you said you're an EMT, EMT basic, intermediate? Just a basic EMT. Right on, awesome. Not just a basic EMT, Travis. Mm-hmm. You're a basic EMT, okay? <laughs> they represent, dude. Not just. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I know how that's, yeah. I mean, I remember being that. Like, come on, man. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Sorry, I digress. Um, when you get down there, because I, I get it, it's pitch black, or you're using your flashlight to try to do a quick assessment. You get the helicopter back off. I mean, it, it's dark down there. So how that would you end up doing for that? Um, she didn't have any blood or anything. No major trauma to her head. I just asked her some questions. I, you know, what day it is, you know, the president, president ends and she, she was um, completely coherent and uh, okay. fine. She was just getting, getting nauseous and, and dizzy. So nah, right on. <clears throat> she was okay right. for the most part. Very cool. Very cool. Did you ask her not to throw up in the helicopter? <laughs> uh, we have little barf bags, but yeah, that's best when they don't do that. I just you know, I was wondering of... if you asked her. I don't know. <laughs> Before Travis like, no, I, didn't, I didn't ask her. I didn't think of that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Travis. I'm just kidding, dude. I know you're not going to do that. Just throw that out there. All right, dude. So you, what, yeah, <laughs> all right. So what, uh, how are you extracting or what, what are you using? We use the CMC hot seat, uh, basic hot seat. Uh, what we usually use cool. if it's not a Stokes. Nice. Very nice. Um, so once you package her up, you're ready to go. Now, one of the cool things about your helicopter specifically is you have this big old bumper that you click a couple buttons and it lights up. So as that 
right after you call ready for pickup, I, you can see that thing coming a mile away. Yeah. yeah, we got the halo light, which is really helpful and helps us a lot. Helps the hoist operator a lot to see, see that thing. Because at night, it's hard to see that cable. <clears throat> and it's hard to see the bumper, too, because it's not reflective or anything. So that halo works out great. Yeah, nice, which is beautiful. So no issues. I mean, right after the hook gets to you, you grab it, connect it to you, and you're out of there, yeah? Yeah, I had put her on the two up. Um, it's a device we use so we could both go up at the same time and it also makes them feel more comfortable because usually they're kind of scared but when I tell them hey we're going to go up together <clears throat> it it calms them down a lot and uh, so I connected her to the two up and I was just waiting for the hook and uh, with the wind and all that it took a little bit some adjustments but uh, they got the hook right to me and then uh, we went up together sweet sweet and, and Mike any issues with the pickup uh, no, just, uh, power was good. And, um, yeah, just, uh, we had a little bit of a swing start, you know, on the flyaway, but got it under control. And, uh, yeah, we, uh, we fly her, uh, like with everyone else, we'll have a pre-designated landing zone that we'll coordinate with the ground deputies. And so in that area, it's, it's almost always our, uh, mountain sheriff station. We have a landing zone there, helipad, and we'll coordinate with, uh, uh medical personnel to, uh, meet us there. When we're in route, we get that stuff already started so that nobody's, we're not having to wait. So we'll, we'll say, hey, we're in route to this call. Let's uh, stage medical at, a, at our make uh, Hemet Mountain Station, our landing zone. And that way um, they're already on the move and, and getting there. So uh, yeah, we just flew her there and offloaded her, escorted her over to uh, paramedics and um, she was on her way. Dude, that's awesome. It, 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 when you listen to you guys talk about this kind of, so just but I it's literally sounds like ah, just another training day. Like no issues, no problems, middle of night, pitch black, can't yeah. see a damn thing, and you guys are like, Yeah, that ah, was easy. Yeah. I was gonna say the <laughs> same thing. Was... These two guys make it sound like it was just a, a simple rescue and, and it sounds like it's a simple rescue, but yeah, uh, you know, Mikey's dealing with the winds, um, the hoist operator, Doyle. He's out there and he's trying to guide Mikey where to go. Uh, he's using his goggles to try to find the best spot to squeeze that hook in between the trees or an open area. Uh, Travis has been preparing since the moment we left on going through the sequences of, of what ifs and what equipment he needs. So when we're on scene, he's already got everything he needs. Uh, there's no hesitation. Uh, everyone knows their job and they do it well. So, uh, you know, the two guys are making it seem like it's, it's, just a, a casual rescue, which, you know, because of the training, um, sometimes we may feel like it's another, just another rescue. But when you really break it down and you see all the work that those guys put into, into this, uh, it, it was technical The the terrain, once we got into position where Travis needed to be hoisted into, um, we're probably 15 feet or so off the rocks. Uh, and that was a oh, constant dang. concern is looking over the shoulder, making sure that the tail was clear, that, that the rocks are still no factor, that Mike's maintaining a, a steady hover, uh, that the hoist operator, when he's, he's positioning Mike, um, is also aware that, you know, the rocks that are behind him, um, he's clear of those. So it's a whole crew, crew, uh, crew resource management. You know, we're all working together to make this as safe as possible and as smooth as possible. And, uh, you know, again, they make it seem easy, but these two guys, um, Mike D on the, uh, on, as a voice operator, they're good at what they do. All our guys are good at what they do. Uh, so, so are you Manny? Uh, 
Thank you, brother. All team. I'm freaking proud, awesome, proud man. All these guys. You know, it, and, and I will Dude, say that that's great. we can, we, we are extremely blessed and fortunate that we can, we don't have per se like a set training budget. We do have a training budget, but that's mostly for like, um, for the 145 pilots to go back to Airbus once a year and do, we do a five day recurrency with the instrument proficiency check at the end, because we are also an IFR program. And, uh, and then we also do emergency procedures in the, in our A stars. Um, but as far as like the rescue stuff, we, we go out and we can fly as much as we want. And we do, we, we train oh, several times a week beautiful. and we'll do, um, we'll do, do different scenarios. Um, let's, let's just practice. And we, we do get real business. Um, we're, we're pretty busy. Uh, so, you know, we have a lot of proficiency. We get to do, you know, a lot of flying as much as we are pretty much. So, um, it, it, you know, it's by far, it, it's, it's definitely not easy or routine. Um, yeah, that one, that night it's, you know, those night moonless ones, those are, those are tough. And this one too was unique because the ideal situation, as you know, Quinny is to, you know, you put the hoist operator on the side of the, the terrain. And, but this way that if we were to do that, that would have put us into uh, 180 degrees tail into the wind. So I had to, yeah. we had to go basically with pilot side against the terrain. So the hoist operator is looking off into the abyss into the down terrain. And so that was really helpful for Manny. He kept looking hard to his right through the window and, and kind of backing me up for that area that I couldn't see behind me. So he was looking through that window and calling the terrain and because the hoist operator, he, he can't, he can't see it at all. So that was a different, unique one. And we, we brief it, we talk about it. Everybody's comfortable with it. Okay. This is what we're going to have to do, man. Cause it, it's uh, the, the 145, H145, it has this really, really big finistron that grabs the wind and it'll, it'll tell you if you're, if you're not nosing to the wind very, very quickly. So uh, yeah, it likes <laughs> to be into the wind. So uh, it was just a, yeah, a good, very unique and, and very, it was very difficult um, hoist that night. Yeah. Dude. Awesome. Well done, you guys. Well done. No rescue life saved. That's what I'm saying. Anyway, I like it. I like it. All right. So let me go on to another one. So this is kind of the twofer. You guys have video of like a, a mountain bike rescue. Now I, there's actually two videos with two different mountain bikes, but what I find interesting is the mountain bike aspect of it afterwards. So, but I, I got to hear the first part of it. So Let's go with the one that had the green mountain bike. That one I remember specifically because that dude was uh, had been injured on the trail on the mountain bike. And then actually, if I remember correctly, Travis, you were the hoist operator on that one? Uh, correct. Okay. So um, Manny or Mike, whatever, would, whoever wants to start this out, what, what's the call coming in for that? Well, I, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. Um, this one, we got a call of an injured mountain biker uh, coming out in the Palm Desert area. There's some some trails out there that people are out riding. Uh, so we got the call and we're already ready to go. We have the helicopter staged uh, in the event that we, we get any type of rescue. We're ready to roll. Uh, helicopter has been pre-flit. So we, as soon as we get the call, we print out the location, the lat long. Uh, like Mike said earlier, when, when these calls come out. Dispatch is really good about obtaining all the, the important information, uh, description, injuries, and specifically location. So uh, with our cool technology in the helicopter, punch in the lat long as we're flying, and it takes us pretty much right to where, where the mountain biker um, was down. So while he's riding down this terrain, uh, the, this long trail, uh, he's got his GoPro on and he's recording 
his run. And it's obvious after looking at this guy's video that he's an extreme mountain biker. Uh, he's hauling ass down that mountain and you can just see his arms pumping. He's pumping that bike. He's just scooting along uh, down the terrain. And at some point in the video, you hear him say some few choice words. He goes head over feet scorpions himself and he's down. Uh, he, he looks and sounds from the video that he was pretty, pretty messed up. So, um, you know, as we're flying out there, all the medics, they do what they do best. They're preparing, um, for the scenarios, the possible injuries. Um, I think we had another guy, Jason Beeman out that day that came out. Uh, so we actually had two medics that were able to, to go down. Um, so we get over, we see our, our, our down mountain biker, uh, as, as pilots and air crews. We have a systematic way of handling every rescue. We do our high recon, uh, looking at our best approach and, and uh, kind of going through acronyms in our heads as pilots. Uh, so we do our high recon, get a little bit lower, start doing our low recon uh, all the time. All the meanwhile, you know, we're discussing amongst each other how we're going to approach this. Uh, and then we come into our final uh, phase of flight, which is the rest stop. Uh, I think the rest stop is something that SR3 has probably uh, taught all our guys, and it, it's nice. come in, it's come in as a as a valuable tool for us because it kind of slows everything down. It gives us an opportunity, you know. Sometimes the adrenaline can be going; you're excited about a rescue, uh, but it, it's one of those pause moments. And as soon as you get into that rest stop, everything stops. Uh, we have uh, silence in the cockpit. And now the crew chief, the hoist operator, he goes over his checklist and, and verifies everything's good, that the helicopter is good, that we have emergency escape routes. Uh, we're going through whatever emergency procedures uh, we think may occur. Uh, so it, it, it slows us down, gives us a good opportunity to to make sure that we're approaching this in the safest manner and that the risk is is worth the reward. Um, and in this case, you know, everything was safe. Uh, it was daylight. It wasn't extremely hot, so the terrain for us wasn't wasn't too wild. Uh, I was flying that one. Uh, Mike was co-pilot. Uh, we come into the rest stop. Once that's all said and done, then uh, Travis is is the voice for for us, and he starts uh, directing us in. Uh, so we fly into to our final hoist position, where Travis feels it's going to be best to insert. And at that point now. Uh, I'm in auto hover. You still maintain controls in this helicopter, H-145. Uh, auto hover works amazing. It's very steady, but you still have to override the controls to make sure that you're staying in a steady position. So uh, although, you know, the, the helicopter does have that, that ability, uh, you're still flying the aircraft. You're still maintaining that position in space. Uh, now my eyes are locked onto a target that I'm using as a hover reference. Uh, and at this point now, Travis is my eyes. So um, I'll hand it off to Travis because at that point, all I see is, is what I'm staring at down below and I'm listening to what's going on um, outside. Right on. All right, Travis. So pick us up, man. You're right over the top of the seat. You're putting your boy in, medical gear, hoisting equipment. What, and the dude's injured. He's got, he's just all busted up on, on the ground. Is, are we doing a litter extraction? Are we doing a hot seat? What are we doing? Uh, we ended up doing a hot seat with that. His back and legs were pretty good. He just had a lot of road rash. 
he had an open fracture on his uh, forearm, a lot of road rash. He had a, uh, we think his jaw was broken. He couldn't talk real well. And I think he was actually missing some teeth too. Um, oh, man. So we, Dude. I put our first uh, rescue specialist, Edwards, off set a little bit. There's a wider portion of the trail, and that way we're not putting too much downwash right on the, the the victim while he's laying there. And we inserted Edwards. Uh, Edwards made his way to the uh, patient, assessed him, and we decided to put our second rescue specialist down, Jason Beeman, uh, to assist with uh, wrapping this guy up and uh, securing his arm. And once they were both... Uh, inserted we decided to start uh, doing some orbits that way we're not just right there hovering over them that way they can talk to each other and hear each other um so we orbited for a couple minutes while they uh got him bandaged up um got back into position we picked up jason beeman first got him on board and then i sent the hook down to edwards and the patient and uh had to get it right on them because we didn't yeah. want to move him around really. And uh, they they came up together, two up together, and uh, we pulled them All right, them so in. now, wait a You've got both rescuemen and the victim in the inside of the aircraft. You've got the bike still down. Where does the bike come into play? We dropped – we had a paramedic staged nearby off of Highway 111. So we went and – Gave, got the patient offloaded to paramedics so he could get transported to the hospital. And these guys obviously bright, expensive, like $10,000 specialized mountain bikes. So we were debating, <laughs> we can come back. Yeah, we could come back the next day and, and get the bike. We could get it now. So we were like, hey, it's still daylight. Let's just go grab it real quick. So we went back, set up. I sent uh, someone down. I don't remember who it was, either either Beeman or um, Edwards. He wrapped up the bike real. He wrapped up the bike real quick. Brought it up, and uh, we've pulled bikes into the helicopter a bunch of times. It's kind of, of a pain, and uh, we decided since that landing zone was so close, it was only a couple miles away. We just kept it on the hook and and just put it right there next to me on the skids, and we just kind of cruised over, and uh, kept it outside the helicopter. Dude, that's awesome. We were able to drop it off with a friend of the victim who met us down there. Oh my gosh, dude, that's sick. Now, out of curiosity, did, did the guy ask you guys to go get it? And I, you know what? I shouldn't even throw this out there because uh, this was one of the questions that got asked by our audience here. And it was uh, by at J Moore, M-O-R-R-R. And he asked, why did you guys go back for the bike? So did, did, the, did the victim ask you to go get it? Or was that just like, oh, let's just go pick up the bike and bring it back for him? I think we just went and got it. I don't think we've ever lost left a bike uh, we've done quite a few bicyclists down and we we've always got their bike to be honest with you they're expensive bikes i mean we don't want it to get stolen um not that that's yeah, that awesome a lot of these a lot of these rescues we put ourselves in the victim's shoes um you know we think like if this was my family member if i was the one down there uh what would i want done and i know like travis said these bikes are outrageously expensive uh, so, you know, there's a risk versus reward. Um, the terrain 
was good to go. We have a twin engine helicopter. Uh, we take safety uh, very seriously um, and we weigh, weigh the, the pros and cons. And in this one, it was kind of a no brainer. It, it was a very safe uh, technique that we used and it saved this guy a, a lot of money, you know, and, and we're here to serve the public. Uh, that's our job. We try to help out. Uh, so, uh, you know, I know if I was riding that bike and I was down, I would love someone to give me back my $10,000 mountain bike. So yeah, right. <laughs> I think it worked out pretty good. Dude, that's awesome. Yep. Uh, you know, and you think about it, I know we were talking a little bit about training earlier, but at, at that point you could almost make it a training scenario for yourself to, to go down. You're just getting some dude's bike. But um, now you're, you're literally keeping it on the outside of the aircraft and just short hauling it. That's it. Just keeping a hand on it and, and cruising with it, the bike on the outside of the aircraft. Yeah. Right. That's freaking awesome. <laughs> Dude, I'm, it, it was I'm going to, if I ever go ride, I'm going around there. Oh, yeah. Just right to the landing zone? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. yeah. It, it was pretty quick to the landing zone, not too far. Uh, you know, Travis could have took the time to wrestle that thing inside, but uh, I don't remember if we put it on the reel. I'm sure we did. Um, if he was hanging out right next to us, but, uh, it was a quick, easy offsite landing and, you know, friends and family appreciate that type of stuff. And, and you're right. We use this as a training opportunity, uh, never miss an opportunity to train. Well, that's kind of what this was. All right. You know, we just did a human now let's, let's go do some more training and, and get as many reps as we can. Dude, that is awesome. Well done, you guys. Well done. I, I like the idea of like, uh, you know, like you said, you're, you're there to, to serve the public and, and help out. And it's not only people, it's also their, their possessions. If, if you can get it and save it, man, Absolutely. good on you. You know, and a little bit more awesome. real quick is like, like being, being the EMT, uh, these guys are using some equipment that I've never seen before. Uh, Travis can elaborate probably on some of it, but uh, our medics are, are amazing at what they do. They, they know what equipment they need for each scenario. And uh, they had, I don't know, Travis, what do you call that blow up splint thing? I think you guys were using that. They were using that. I'm glad that you said there, splint but... thing. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> yeah, it's, an, it's an, it's an air, air, air splint. Air splint. Air splint. Okay, good. Pretty cool. Man, I wasn't sure where you were going with it, dude. I don't, I just don't <laughs> throw that out there, dude. I wasn't sure where I was going with it. These medics do what they do. Um, although, you know, the, the, the saying was just an EMT, but um, EMTs are amazing at what they do. And they're always training. They're always um, doing like online recurrency testing. Uh, they've got the dummies out there where Mike said earlier, we do scenarios. And Mike's got really cool ideas on, on different scenarios that he throws at them. And uh, the medics have to, you know, have to provide that, that medical aid for whatever the scenario is. So, uh, again, this is one of those ones that the terrain wasn't anything extreme. You know, I'm sure there's a million other rescues that, that surpass this, but it's the whole fact that these guys are all working together, that we all work together and constantly strive to be the best at what we do. Uh, and the EMTs, you know, are down there and they're, and they're giving this guy the best care that this guy could have gotten. So again, just another one of those proud moments, you know, you, you see your guys working and, and we joke and smoke, but when it's time to, to be serious, then it's, it's business 
and you see it in the work that they do every day. And and a lot of these videos that you posted show just a small piece of what it is that that all of us do. Yeah, oh, it's super cool, man. It's super cool. Indeed. Yeah, I I love the fact that you guys went back to get the bike. I really do. I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things when you start talking to to different people, and you know, even news newspapers and stuff like. It'll be like, oh, it saved four people from car crash. They also saved the dog. And the dog is the biggest part of the headline. And this is like, you saved the dude from a, from a bike crash. But you saved the bike. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> dude, oh, I love it. I love yeah, it. We could save hundreds of people a year, but the moment we save an animal, that that's the story. You know, yeah, we, 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 totally. we rescued horses. In the past, we we trained for long-lining horses and large animals out of precarious situations, and that man makes like international news. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, we, you know what? You might have to touch on that. What you you saved a horse by long-lining a horse? Oh, yeah, Travis, that several times. yeah, several times. Yeah, what? we had a. It was the. <laughs> yeah, it was the last one. Was the it was the it was the day after Thanksgiving, twenty twenty-one. And uh, this uh, this lady took her horse down to this canyon uh, in the, the Temecula area of her county, and uh, horse got spooked and jumped over this um, rock formation into this little this little like meadow, this probably twelve by twelve little meadow thing. It was weird, but the horse got couldn't get back out, so it was just not injured, just stuck in place. So um, that is that is a lot of people and a lot of moving parts involved to long line a horse out. Uh, we have a, a Riverside city fire department. They, um, they have a, a, a horse animal rescue team, the heart team. And they, they have this large device called the Anderson sling. And this thing is extremely elaborate. Uh, so many fail points on it. There's so many buckles and uh, they come out once a year with us. Uh, we're the aircraft that will uh, utilize them. Uh, so, but it's training for them too, because they have this like 800 pound rubber horse that they bring out on this, on this cart, like a Trojan horse thing, wheeling it in. And, uh, so they, they set it up and they first put it, uh, on the device on the horse for all of maybe some new guys. And that's good practice for them. And then they'll take it off the cart and lay it down as if it would be in real life. And so they got to, uh, manipulate the horse and everything and get the straps on. And then, um, and then at the end, when they're all good and confident, then we take it outside and we do it live with the helicopter. Um, so uh, it's a it's a lot. You have uh, veterinarians involved because what they'll do is they'll they'll stabilize the horse first. They'll establish an IV, and they'll they'll push a a mild sedative just to calm the horse as they're doing all this preparatory work. And uh, so so that the horse doesn't uh, freak out, buck, and and become a problem. What they'll do is right before we're clear to lift, when we have tension on the line, then the, we'll say, okay, tensioning, tensioning, okay, you're clear to clear to drug. So at that point, the the vet, one of the veterinarians has a syringe ready and then really knocks the horse out and gives them enough to keep them out for about five minutes. And so once the horse is completely unconscious, then we start the lift and then transport uh, the animal over to the uh, landing zone. And that's the hard part, man, is setting that thing down nice and easy and gentle. And because, uh, you know, there's a bunch of cameras. So uh, then we yeah lay the horse down and then uh, detach uh, from the animal. And then uh, the veterinarian that's at the LZ will take over the care and um, 
uh, monitor the horse as it comes back into consciousness and so forth. But yeah, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot going on and it makes huge news. Oh my God, dude. I didn't see that one coming. Yeah. All right. I know we just diverted <laughs> off like what we we're going to talk about, but that was well worth it. <laughs> we I would love to too, see that so. operation. Do you really? Oh yeah, my I'll gosh. On, yes, please. I'll put it on my YouTube. Bro. Yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh. God, what are you guys doing down there is insane to me. It's crazy. Oh, pretty fun. Wow. Yeah. Holy jeez. We're going to divert real quick to thank our sponsors. Breeze Eastern. For over 80 years, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured battle-proven aerial rescue hoists, winches, and cargo hooks. Each product is carefully crafted to support demanding mission scenarios, ensuring the job gets done safely and efficiently. Visit them today at www.breeze-eastern.com. All right. Uh, well, let me, let me skip to the next one. All right. Travis, this is you. This is all about a like a super big cliff rescue, and and I'm I'm gonna come back because Mike, I believe you were you were flying right seat. Yes. In this one, okay. Yeah. Now I, I I'm gonna Mike. I, I know we're gonna talk about your flying because it was legit. But Travis, I I gotta put this out there. So you're at like an altitude. It, off the top of my head, you're like 2,000 feet up on this freaking rock face. Is, am I exaggerating with that, or is that pretty accurate? Um, I don't know the altitude. Um, Calhoun might – we estimated that rock face. I was up maybe 800. I, oh. Yeah, I think it was about 800 feet up. It was about two pitches up, uh, but it was at like 7,500 MSL was where – Oh, okay. That's what I'm thinking about. Yeah, it was. For they, the rock they itself. Were, they were far up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So 800 feet from the ground to where the dude got hurt, right? Right. And you guys are flying at 7,500 AGL, pulling power up there. Yeah, that's correct. Yep. Holy cow. All right. What What is the call and, and how did even managed to do this because and then, and then Travis I want to get into you because the pickoff you ended up using a um, uh, the hot seat the CMC hot seat and I, I'd like to talk about that too but Mike let me let me bring it to you for real quick what not really oh yeah you'll have to dude you gotta send oh, yeah. that to me that's so what you guys are coming it's, into yeah that's uh it's called it's called Lily Rock and it's right above Idlewild, and it's a pretty popular uh, climbing climbing uh, rock. Um, the peak of it is called Tokwitz Peak. Um, so it's uh, it was daytime, and we get the call of a uh, of an injured climber. Uh, they have a GPS position, which is great. So we uh, we brief it up, and we're looking at it, and we're like, okay, yeah, this is this is actually a climber on Lily Rock. So that changes a lot of things on our on our mission planning and uh, uh, briefing of how we're going to do this. So. So the crew component that day was uh, I was um, I was PIC on that one. Uh, Manny was co-pilot. Uh, Mike Doyle was the hoist operator, and Travis was the uh, go-down guy. He was on the hook. So, um, and then we had uh, I think uh, Jason Beeman. He was he was working overtime filling in uh, for Edwards that day. So yeah, same same mission planning briefing. Uh, we get there. Initially, um, where where they were, it was it was so vertical that 
we didn't think we were able to get close enough in to them because of the the verticalness. So um, we just said, hey, why don't we why don't we climb an elevation? Maybe we have to make it a 200 foot hoist of cable. And because it was a little bit more uh, angled, if we went a little bit higher, so let's let's just creep in and, and see if we can do it. Um, because really, it's it the last time that the ground rescue teams had to do this kind of rescue, it took about 14 hours to uh, do a oh top down, gosh. yeah, a top down rope technical rescue. And Manny was on that last one, and he flew, I think, at least 20 different sorties to get rescuers up on that peak of of where these climbers were. And then they set up a technical rope to go down and that took them well into three, four in the morning. So, you know, they're doing it at night. And, uh, so kind of long story short, uh, we did all of this in about 12 minutes of hovering. So really oh, wait a minute, the whole rescue is done in 12 minutes. Are you serious? About 12 minutes of hovering. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we get there and, um, yeah, oh we, we, we climbed an elevation, maybe another hundred feet. And we move in and this is where, um, you know, the co-pilot, you know, Manny was doing a fantastic job of he's right there. It'll be on the left-hand side. So I'm looking, Manny's looking, hoist operator's looking. Uh, the RS2 is looking out the door too. So we're all looking at this rock, just making sure that we're going to be clear. So uh, we'll, once we get into position, um, I hear Travis says, hey, man, I, I think we can do this, man. We're, we're pretty, you know, plumb center over the victims. We had about, I'd say about eight to 10 feet of rotor clearance from the, from the rock. Um, so everyone, you know, okay, we're good. We're good. All right. We can, we can do this. Let's uh, deploy a rescuer. Um, the winds were cooperating. It wasn't, uh, we were kind of tucked into a pocket, um, if, you know, 50 feet to hundred feet out to my right, I would have caught some of the, some of the, uh, the wind coming out of the South there, but everything felt stable. Um, I felt comfortable. I felt like I was having a good day and, uh, everyone agreed. So let's deploy the rescuer. And, um, so it, it's good because Manny is then telling, he's like watching and, and, um, and what our co-pilot role does is he's kind of like an overall kind of safety referee as well. You know, he's, he's watching the terrain as well. He's, he's listening for things that need to be said and he's, you know, catching things that hadn't been said and, 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 you know, prompting us to remember a certain procedure or a thing, something we didn't think about. So he does yeah. have a very vital role. In, in our program, uh, not just, just kind of seat meat sitting there, um, to fulfill like our, we especially do it for IFR. We have, we have a dual pilot for IFR operations. So, um, yeah, so get there and, uh, uh, Manny's talking me on and it was good because, you know, he's calming me down and just telling me, Hey, you know, you're doing great. This is good. We're, we're, we're pretty stable. We're doing great. And, uh, just kind of checking everything. So it was awesome having, having him do that. You know, it was, it was really, important because there was a huge pucker factor in this one, man. It was, you know, we don't do those kind every day. You know, that was different. So, uh, yeah, I'll take it to, uh, Travis and uh, Travis can go from there. So I, one, one quick question, Mike, uh, how much hoist cable was out? Do you know? Uh, it was about 140 to 150, I think. Yeah. Okay. We have, we have two, right, so 295 usable. So I, I'm, let's go 150 feet just for round numbers. I like that. I'm good with yeah. that. Are you okay with that, Travis? 150 feet. Yeah. Okay. That's probably about. So right. now, Travis. Yeah. All right. So now, Travis, you you get on the hoist deck, and the reason I'm I'm bringing that number up is because you're you're connected to the hoist deck at the aircraft, and and you come outside the door, and I I can picture this all in my head right now, like. 
you're outside the aircraft, you're standing on the skid, connected to the hoist hook, hoist boom is out, hoist operator's on there, ready to go, it gives you the thumbs up, you give them the thumbs up, yep, you're ready to rock. Disconnect the reel, your safety goes out, and then you start going out, right? So you're just hoisting just below the aircraft. And then all of a sudden you look down and you are 950 feet from the ground. Like, <laughs> at what point in your mind did you look down and be like, shit, this is high. <laughs> that's what I really want to know. That, that's, that's the thing. <laughs> uh, yep. I don't. When I was going out of the helicopter, I don't, I don't think I looked down. To be That's honest, awesome. um, I, <laughs> I remember, I remember looking down at one point when I was on the rock with the victims, and thinking, "Wow!" Because at the bottom, there's just a bunch yeah. of like boulders, um, just a bunch of loose boulders and rocks that have fallen off that rock like over the years. So. That's yeah. You look down a bunch of just loose boulders and pine oh trees god, that look dude. tiny. From oh there, my right? god, dude! That, I love this. I love this so much. So you're 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 slowly creeping, getting closer and closer. You you went from nine hundred and fifty to nine hundred to eight hundred fifty to about eight hundred feet off the off the the main ground. It's a long fall to the end. At what point did you end up making contact to the rock? Was it at the very bottom or like when you were eye level with the victim or were you kind of like traversing down? Making contact with the rock? Yeah. I was, I was slightly below them. Um, it was hard for the hoist operator to get me over there because we were so close to the rocks. And um, so he put me down. I was kind of vertical with him. And from – Above view, it's hard to see how steep some of the rocks are that are actually attached to the to this cliff. And I was actually making contact with this little chute that went below them. And I remember Doyle asking me, hey, because I was on that rock, can you climb up that rock? Because from his view, you can't tell how sheer yeah. it is. And I had to tell him, no, I can't climb up this rock. It's it's like sheer cliff face. You're going to have to put me right next to him. So that's what's nice actually about the Axness. I have direct communication with the crew and the um, pilots. And I told him, no, you got to, I'm about 15 feet below them. You're going to have to put me right on him. And he pulled me up. Yeah. yeah. So he was able to pull me up to them and, um, slowly keep creeping keep creeping and finally i got within about an arm's reach of the first victim and uh they'll build a grab forearm to forearm and kind of pull me into him and uh, there was just enough little edge for me to stand right in front of him basically they're in like this crack um there was a, a a male who broke his ankle and then a female companion that he was um rock climbing with and she had kind of wedged her way into a crack into this big crack and she was able to kind of sit and he was able to sit on this tiny little okay. ledge and they were anchored in with cams but they were basically sitting the they're sitting on the crack that they were anchored into so the anchor was below them they weren't suspended they were able to sit there wow and um anchor in with cams um so I made contact with him. I was able to stand there. 
he was anchored in. Um, I started working the hot seat, got the hot seat out, got him connected into the hot seat, uh, got him connected to the two up. Uh, once he was connected to me, he said, am I safe? Am I safe? I said, yes, you're connected to me. We're connected to the hook. He unhooked his, um, anchor and then we were able to pull him up, pull us up. Wow, man. Wow. Now I, I, I gotta, I gotta emphasize this because in the video, like you're, you're like one foot on this ledge that only really fits your foot. And that dude is sitting on something that's like, it's a tiny little seat and it's, I get up, emphasize 800 foot to the bottom. Like, it's not like this is just a, oh yeah, I'm up a little ways. No, no, no. You're way up there. And there's, you're standing on a cliff and you have this little nook that you're standing on. I'm like, oh my God, dude. So freaking awesome. Question though. Why, uh, why the hot seat? Why not maybe like the, the Lazard or another option? And I'm asking for two reasons. One, he was in a rock climbing harness and I get that totally would have been okay. Um, and then I also understand like having the hot seat, you you have them wrapped up. So why the hot seat? Why did you guys decide to use that? Um, well, I'm really comfortable with our hot seat. I know it's in good condition. Um, it was weird because we can't really get super good icon caught eyes on the situation. We weren't sure how they were anchored in. One thing about the Lazard that was cool is every train we did with the Lazard, everybody was oh, suspended yeah. and, and hanging off an anchor. And then we were able to connect onto their anchor and suspend with them. These people were, were sitting on a ledge on cams that were underneath them. So you could have done a Lazard. I was thinking, how do you do I don't know if I would have done a Lazard with that, but now now going through my head, I could have connected the Lazard into their cams and, and done the same thing, but I would have had to rely on their cams to anchor me, oh, and yeah, I would have been yeah. kind of pulling up on the cams slightly because they were below them. And I'm not a rock climber. I wouldn't hang off a cam off a mountain, to be honest with you. Um, so... I felt comfortable with the hot seat and I, I could have connected the two up directly to his, his um, rock climbing harness, yeah. I guess. But then this guy took a fall. I don't know if his harness is damaged. Absolutely. I, and I'm not familiar with his Dude, equipment. I so love it. It was most I comfortable for me just to put him in our equipment. Yeah. Yeah, so. man. I, you know what? I, here, here's the way I'm going to say this. This is me, right? I was not on scene. I was not there. I didn't go through the brief. I, I, it was not me. It was you guys. What you guys yeah. briefed and what you did yeah. worked. It worked well. Period. Yeah. I don't care what anybody else says. You're on scene. You make yes. the call. Period. Did it work? Yes. Ricky Travis, well done, dude. Props. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I am throwing that like out there. Okay. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, if I can add to, um, if, in regarding this rescue as well, um, there was a question of, and this kind of kind of comes up whenever we do hoist rescues, is some people get really frustrated as to 
I, and I get maybe the sentiment is is they, they care about us as public safety. But a lot of times it's why did these people put themselves in these situations that have to risk uh, rescuers lives to come and save them? And I, I saw that question on <clears throat> on my videos. Um, I'm sure you'll play the video of this rescue. But, you know, someone asked that, you For know, sure. they could have self rescued. It was only two pitches up. They could have self rescued. Well, he, he had a, a broken ankle. And the longer that you have a broken ankle in a confined shoe, you can have, I guess, compartmentalized syndrome where he could have kind of tourniqueted his own foot, I guess, if it swells in the, in the shoe, I guess. Um, I'm not a doctor. Uh, Travis is. He could probably talk to that better. But, um, <laughs> but you know, a lot of people. I'll be the first to tell you he's not. I'm just going to throw that yeah. out here. I got you, Travis. <laughs> yeah. But we don't. That, you know, that's our job. You know, folks love to go out in, into the wilderness. They love to go hike. They love to go rock climbing and, and accidents happen. You know, they didn't plan on slipping and falling and, and breaking an ankle and having to get rescued. And I guess um, maybe in the rock climber community, it's kind of, it is kind of taboo if you ever have to get hoist rescued. Um, I was on a rescue once as a down, uh, a hoist operator a long time ago. And uh, the guy was actually refusing rescue. The downsider was, he was getting waved off and he was on the side of the North face in ice separated from his pack and his climbing gear. And he's waving us off. And we're like, no, 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 you're, you're done. You're, you're coming. And so afterward, he's like, yeah, thank you, man. I'm, I'm, that was the right call. He just didn't want that stigma of being rescued. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Cause then it follows yeah. you in that community. And, but um, you know, you've got to do the right thing. You, when you tap out, you got to be uh, just realistic enough to say, Hey, I, I'm in a bad spot. So when those things happen, we, we don't look at it like, you know, damn it, why are these people putting us in this situation? You know, they should have had better planning or whatever, but that's not always the case. Nobody ever plans and wants to fall and get injured 800 feet up on the side of a rock. So, um, you know, just know that if that ever happens to you. And another thing, too, that, that um, I think we need more better education um, in the public with is, a lot like our agency in particular, we don't charge people for rescue. You know, you're not going to get a bill. You're not. So don't be afraid if, if you're lost, if you're injured, man, I don't want to pay that bill. You know, we're not like the air ambulance services where you will get a bill or insurance will. Um, this is a publicly funded taxpayer funded service that the people that are in Riverside County that find themselves in some kind of precarious situation get to enjoy. And uh, that's what your taxpaying dollars are for. So uh, anyone listening to this, uh, if you're ever in our county, at least, and I think it's most it's it's that way around at least the country that uh, you're not going to get charged. So don't be fearful of that in your decision making as to whether or not you need a call for a rescue. Right. That's my buck 50 on it anyway. So I like it. I like it. Um, I, I'm going to kind of throw one more thing because you mentioned it in the beginning before we got into that. We haven't even gotten to the second person, by the way. Because you, you've taken one victim up, the dude with the broken foot. There's still a lady hanging on the side of a cliff. I want to I remind you that we're not done with this rescue yet, okay? But you did mention that the last time something like this happened at this location, it took 14 hours to get guys down. And you said you had the whole thing done in like 12 minutes. Like, come on. Like, putting rescues at risk? Um, 14 hours of hanging. I mean, I, I get it. I climb. I, I repel. I enjoy being on it. But... 14 hours is a long time to be rappelling people down or belaying people down, rope anchors from one to the other. It's just a long time. 12 At minutes nighttime. is not a long time. 
I mean, yeah. holy cow. Yeah. Nice job, guys. Okay, okay, wait, wait, wait. I, I don't want to go too far. Ready? So you get the dude with the ankle up to the aircraft. Now you've got to do the whole thing again. It, it was, how did it work out a second time? Like, same thing? <clears throat> like, girl got to the same spot and just hooked you up or what, Travis? Yeah, so while we were putting him in the helicopter, I stayed on the two up. They started sending me back down. <clears throat> and she kind of made her way out of her little crevice she was in to where he had he was and she anchored into where he was in so um same thing doyle got me down there i was able after a little bit swinging me around i was able to get within a forearm's reach of her she reached out grabbed me uh, pulled me in and we pretty much did the same thing except she had all their equipment she had like a couple hundred feet of rope on her back. Luckily, those CMC hot seats are, are pretty big. And I'm able to put that thing over all that stuff anyways. And um, put the hot seat on her, made sure she was connected. Um, got her all hooked up. When she was hooked up to me, I said, all right, you're hooked up to me. We're good. You can disconnect. Um, she pulled all her uh, little cams out, got them all secured on her belt. And uh, same thing, we were, we were on our oh way. Oh, my gosh. She cleaned up all the rock and all the gear. That is freaking awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She, was, she was waiting for the bus, man. She was at the bus stop, ready to go, all packed <laughs> up. And, like, I'm, I'm done. I'm out of here. Let's go. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Guys, that's freaking awesome. Well done. Well done. Uh, it, like, and, and I am going to post a video here. We'll get to see a little bit of it here. But, um Mike, you have it on your YouTube channel, so if anybody wants to go see like the the full thing, it's like a 22 minute video off the top of my head, but yeah. it's legit. And Travis, it was it was awesome to watch you on the side of the rock. And I, my favorite is really when you're you're looking around, you're seeing him, you're kind of doing your thing. And at one point, you like look down, and you just see how far it is all the way down. I was like, oh my god, dude, that's freaking sick. Yeah. So, anyway, well done, gentlemen. Well done. Travis. Yeah, well, for sure. All right, let's go to let's go to one more. Um, this one in particular is a rescue you guys had where like everything was was kind of going all good and then it wasn't good. So, uh, Manny, I believe you were flying on this one in particular. And if I remember yeah, correctly, uh, Travis, you were hoisting on this one. So you're the hoist operator on this one, right? Correct. And then, Mike, you were sitting a left seat as backup. Or is yes. uh, yeah, SIC nice? All right. So Manny, let me let me bring it to you. What's the call? What are you going out to? So we've got. Uh, I think they were injured hikers up near uh, the top of Idlewild Idlewild Tram. Uh, There's a valley up there, and there was an injured hiker. Uh, kind of a, a typical call we get up in that area. Uh, elevation's probably 8,500. Maybe 8,500 feet, 9,000 feet or so. Uh, it, was, it was 95, Manny. Yeah, 90, oh, 95. Okay. 95. That's right, uh, just below the peak. Yeah. Oh so 9,500 feet. Uh, kind of an area, an area that we're very familiar with. So we do like we always do. We get the call. Uh, we start heading out that way. We're constantly discussing what type of equipment we want to use, um, possible scenarios, and... Uh, we get overhead, and I do my same high recon, low recon technique. Uh, high recon, the winds are screaming. Uh, I don't recall 
I want to say they were plus 30 knots, um, but they were coming up and over a ridge line. Uh, so the high recon was a bit sketchy because we were getting thrown around a lot. So uh, instead of just saying, absolutely not, we're done, uh, we kind of weigh all the, the options. So we said, uh, as a crew, we discussed, hey, I'm going to come down, do a low recon, see how we feel. Uh, everyone's on the same page. So I come back around, I do a low recon, and that low recon was much calmer. Uh, still had, you know, 20-something knot winds coming out of the nose, but it was very, very smooth. So uh, if you can paint the picture, there's there's a uh, basically a pinnacle. A pinnacle. Winds are coming up from the west, and they're coming down on the east side of the hill. And we're facing the east side of the hill. Uh, and we're probably, you know, a, a couple hundred yards away from the side of this hill. So uh, we get into our rest stop and we go through our brief and everything seems good. Uh, no, no real issues. Everyone's comfortable. Uh, aircraft's performing well. Uh, that 145 is a beast and it handles, handles this environment very well. Clear, clear day, sunlight. It's nice. Uh, so once we finish our, our rest stop, uh, the process is, is I'll continue flying all the way till I have, uh, I can't see our, our, our location any longer. At that point, um, I pass over the, the communications to Travis, who, who is on the skids, and I say, okay, it's your con, talk me in. So, you know, I've talked a lot. We've discussed a lot about like, kind of how good we are at things we do because we train a lot. And we've trained this same scenario quite often, but there's also a lot of things that you can learn from uh, from these scenarios. And not everything goes goes as planned, and not everything goes smooth. And this was kind of one of those things that, as I sit back and I look at options, me as a pilot could have done different. There's several things that that I would have done different. And we went back to that same spot later and and replayed the scenario to get that feel, so that next time, uh, you know, this isn't such a surprise. Uh, but as I start flying in, one of the one of the keys was for me is I was pretty low above the trees. Uh, the trees are coming up, you know, 100, 150 feet above the deck. So we're still up a couple hundred feet above the ground. Um, ideally, if we're hoisting, you know, 200 feet is is okay. 150 feet is pretty ideal. Um, and when I came in, uh, I came in. Probably, I'd say maybe 100, 150 feet above the tree line, which was, uh, or above the ground. So maybe 50 feet above the trees, uh, which was kind of comfortable for me because I had a good sight picture. I could see some terrain down there out of my one o'clock position where I could maintain a good huddy, uh, steady hover. So uh, I'm getting called into the final position. And Mike, as the, as the co-pilot, uh, he has a ton of experience. He was our chief pilot. CFI, uh, he's got a ton of flying experience. Um, I feel confident in my ability. I feel uh, like I have a lot of experience in the mountains, uh, but we have two experienced pilots in here that bounce things off of each other. And Mike didn't hesitate to tell me, hey, I'm not very comfortable at this altitude. Can you climb? I said, absolutely. Uh, I'll climb up. Uh, and I'll say that that was our saving grace that he he made that decision and and asked me if I can do so. Uh, I trust Mike. And when he says he's not comfortable, there's a reason why he's not comfortable. So we climbed up. Uh, 
Travis is comfortable in in his position conning me in. And um, I'll kind of let you take over from there, Travis, and I'll jump back in at the end. But uh, I lose sight of where, where we're about to conduct our hoist rescue. So Travis is calling us. Hit it, Travis. <laughs> okay, so as normal, they were under a group of trees. Uh, we spotted them. There was an opening in the trees just kind of below them, 30 yards or so. <clears throat> So uh, it was just, I was operating the hoist, and then uh, Edwards was our rescue specialist that day. We had no second rescue specialist. Um, I sent Edwards down. I put him in this little um, meadow, I guess, opening in the trees. He made his way to the uh, victim, made contact with him. And he had, as I remember, he had a weird, he didn't necessarily have an injury. He had some weird physical condition that basically started kind of acting up on the trail and he was unable to continue. So some muscle wasting thing. And uh, he made his way back to the meadow and um, one of the victim's um, companions asked if they could go. And this is another good thing on, on the pilots. And I said, he relayed that to the pilots and said, you know, with this conditions and this power, I'm going to say no. It, it's probably going to be too much weight. And that was another vital um, decision, too, because uh, once we started two up in Edwards and the victim, everything was fine. Um, started bringing them up. Once they were just below the skids, I remember Manny saying, hey, are we clear to forward flight? I said, yeah, you're clear. They're at the skids. And um, I remember connecting them to the reel. And um, right when they were connected to the wheel, reel, um, we just started hauling ass the helicopter. And I remember I kind of went backwards. <laughs> I remember Edwards and the victim kind of swung outwards a little bit, but they're on, you know, they're on the hook and the reel. They were safe. And I remember thinking, because I was so concentrated on doing my hoist, I, I, you know, they're doing their job. I'm doing my job. I remember thinking, damn, Annie's in a hurry. Like, <laughs> all right, that's fine. <laughs> and uh, we went forward, and, and uh, <laughs> I remember the, the trees seemed like they were right at our skids, and I'm like, wow. And uh, Manny did hard hard right and started banking uh, down the mountain, and uh, I got Edwards and the victim in, we, and uh, we got all that secured. And uh, I wasn't till afterwards I realized there was even an emergency up front. And uh, so I'll let Manny take it over to what was going on. But that's how it was in my my perspective. I was just like, wow. Wow, man. Wow. Um, real quick, I, I just want to caveat one thing because you said they were on a reel. So for everybody out there, what the reel is, is it's a retractable lanyard with a, a connecting point. So it, it comes out. It's just like a seatbelt where you get it on and it, it locks. If you if you get an inertia going in one direction, it's a backup feature or a feature that we use um, in aviation to secure somebody on the outside of the aircraft and then bring them in. It's connecting them to a quote unquote seatbelt if that's a but it's a reel. It's, it's, yeah, it's a retractable reel. So SR3 teaches it in all their classes, super high speed. I love it. So anyway, just wanted to throw that out there so everybody knows what they're, what you're connected to. All right, Manny, 
you get the guy. Uh, the guys are at the skid. I, I can hear it. I can hear the whole conversation right now. Like Survivor and, and RS are at the skid. They're coming above and they're on restraint. And you say, are they clear? I, I, I can picture it now. What's going, what, what are you looking at? So the thought process is, is um, a little of our background is we started in the 125. At least I did. An Airbus H125. Oh, my dog just came in to say good morning. Hey, Pop. <laughs> Bella. Um, so we, <laughs> my dog wants to play with me now. So uh, when I learned to, to hoist was in a single engine, um, a star helicopter, amazing helicopter. Um, but with the single engine, a lot of, a lot of pilots will know that um, you want to get that forward, forward flight, get some air movement, um, effective translational lift ETL. So you want to get, get moving forward. Um, I've trained for so long, in the 125 uh, that, you know, I'm still in the habit of wanting to get that forward movement. Now with this 145 being a twin engine, uh, I have all the power in the world. Uh, I don't necessarily need that forward movement at that moment. So, uh, you know, again, debriefs are, are, are crucial and pat yourself on the back when there's time to be patted and, and critique yourself when there needs to be some critiquing. And, uh, I look back and I think, you know, when Travis was uh, pulled the, the victims above the tree as a habit, uh, I know that I, we have a camera in our, in our helicopter looking down. I can kind of see that it looks like they're coming above the tree line. Travis paints the picture the entire time while I'm staring at it at a focal point. Uh, the, there's tension on the line. The victims are coming off the ground. The victims are, are 20 feet above the deck. The victims are now clear of the tree. Uh, when I hear that, my reaction was, okay, we're clear of the trees. I want to get forward flight. Uh, so going back to the beginning of this, when I did that high recon, the, the winds were coming from the west. So I guess that would be the windward. And we were on the leeward, the downwind side. So as I came into the rest stop into that final, final hover hoisting location, um, what I realized after this whole thing was said and done and I sat back and reflected was, I think the winds were coming down that terrain and we were just shy of that wind. So it was very steady. Um, okay. When I started that forward flight, I think I induced uh, or introduced that wind into our rotor blades that was coming, you know, up and over at 30 something knots, but we were out of it. So it was very stable. When I started forward flight, I, I think what happened and, you know, Mike being a, a CFI and a chief may, may be able to elaborate a little bit on this, but I think I hit, into the downward side of that, that wash and that wind, um, losing lift. So, uh, because Mike told me to climb at the very beginning, it gave yeah. us that extra space above the tree line that we needed in order to have a safe recovery. Uh, so as I started flying forward, power's pretty good. I'm nosing forward very gently. Uh, our, our, Pre-brief or our rest stop brief was our emergency escape route. And the emergency escape route was going to be a hard bank to the right. Uh, these are things we go over and over and over again every time we, we do hoist rescues and every time we train. Uh, so as we started going forward, as I started going forward and into that forward flight, um, I immediately felt like I was losing lift. And I'm looking at my gauges and I see that I'm pulling power, but the helicopter is descending. And it's an uncommanded oh descent, um, which is uncomfortable as a pilot. Uh, 
you know, uh, the, the helicopter is very good about uh, responding to to whatever control inputs I make. And when I pull power, generally, I'm used to having having that that control. Um, in this case, I didn't. And I pulled power and I pulled power and I realized we're sinking faster than I'm pulling power. And now I'm watching watching my limitations go up. Uh, we try to stay out of out of the red zone. Uh, in the helicopter, we fly in a in a yellow zone, which on our flight limit indications, um, it gives us a good steady uh, power level and power uh, limits that we have. Uh, the co-pilot's responsibility is to constantly he's reading off those those limitations. He's telling me where we're at with power because I am staring at a focal point. I may not be looking directly at the power. I glance at it every so often, but um, it's crucial for the for the co-pilot to to paint that picture for me. So while my eyes are not looking inside, he's the eyes for me. He's telling me. So uh, I pull so much power that I know I have nothing left. I have to, I have to do something. So uh, the reaction was to do what our emergency procedure was bank hard, right? Get that forward airspeed. Uh, we want to get into that, that translational lift. So uh, I, I guess it would be just out of instinct and training. Uh, I continued pulling power to the point I heard the exceedance alarm. Um, at that point, I didn't care about any exceedance. I didn't care about what damage was going to be done to the helicopter. I just wanted to get us forward airspeed and hopefully get us out of that that descent and into yeah. a, a level state of flight. Uh, we bank hard, bank hard right, uh, and we continue to descend. So I'm pulling power. I hear the alarm going off, and I thought, okay, you know, this is going to be a crash, but it's going to be a controlled crash because I'm going to dictate where we're crashing. I'm not just going to fall out of the sky. So we turn hard. I'm expecting that, you know, this may not be the best outcome. Um, by this point, our guys that were outside the helicopter had swung out, but because of the reel, kept them in close proximity. They came back in and they were hanging on to the side of the skids. Uh, I get down forward airspeed. I see the trees coming very, very close. And in my eyes, I felt as if we were about 10 feet away. Um, and a, a big relief came when I felt that translational lift pick up and the aircraft started coming back up again. So at that point, um, there was no nerves. There was no panic. Everybody in the aircraft was calm. Uh, I didn't feel like there was anything uncomfortable except for the fact that we were descending and I wasn't trying to descend. Um, but I felt like, like our training may have kicked in and we did what we had to do. All of us did what we had to do. Um, but there was a lot of lessons that can be learned from it. But at the end of the day, um, we got that forward airspeed. Uh, we were able to continue our flight. We dropped off our patient. Everything went smooth after that. Uh, we didn't talk too much on the way back. Um, but I think because we had so much adrenaline pumping and it wasn't until we sat down at the hangar, pulled the helicopter in that we looked at each other, said, holy shit, and gave each other hugs. And, um, oh you know, my gosh, yeah, and, and dude, you started. just gave me chills, man. Wow. That's when it all came in, you know, and I think that's, um, the adrenaline, the training kind of keeps you at the, the top of your game until it's all said and done. And then you sit back and you, and you kind of take a breather and you think about what just happened, what could have happened. And, um, you know, it all worked out and, and it worked out. I, I, and I honestly will say this is because Mike told me to raise up that extra 50 feet. 
Had we not done that and I stayed where I was and I continued that forward flight, the descent that we would have had would have been immediately into the trees. There's no doubt in my mind that we would have, um, we would have just sunk and hit the trees right then and there um, within seconds. Uh, but because we had that altitude, as we started sinking, uh, I was able to turn the aircraft into a position where the terrain went down and it gave me more elevation so I could continue to, to make that rapid descent because the terrain was also descending. So it allowed us that opportunity to, to get that forward airspeed and, and it worked out great. Um, but it's because of CRM, um, because crew resource management, because we all discussed emergency procedures and, and Mike was vocal about what he was comfortable with and what he was not comfortable with. Uh, so I think, you know, at the end of this, it worked out good. Man, awesome. Uh, Mike, let me come to you real quick. Uh, as the instructor pilot, as many said, CFI, and are, are you, so what made you want to go 50 feet higher? It, uh, I just, I just real, be real sketchy when I'm above the trees, you know, cause you're, you're, you're not, you're very limited to where you could go down into. You're going to hit trees if you, if you have an engine failure or, you know, something like that. So I like to be a little bit higher. So you have that, that cushion that to, to help, um, uh, you know, get that airspeed up and, and bleed off that altitude. Um, so it just, it was just, a it, it's, it's tricky because you want, it can suck you into wanting to hoist right above the tree line because it gives you a greater reference point. Yeah. Um, it'll give you a more stable hover, you know, because of the, the downwash is so significant in the 145. That's why we have to do about a minimum of 150 foot hoist in it because it's just, it's just too, it's too violent on the, uh, on the rescuer and the victim on the ground. So uh, that's why we have to be that high. And it just, it really, it was weird. It was, it was, it really was a feeling. It, it just, something didn't feel right. <clears throat> when, when we were coming in on short final, um, I'm not even flying, but I could feel that the aircraft just, it just felt mushy at that altitude. Okay. And we were down a rescuer too. So we were down 200 pounds. So we had, you know, fuel was where it always is um, for that altitude that we have the performance for, but something just felt, it felt weird, man. And, and it was, it was a feeling and I know it was totally God keeping us alive. And so it just, Hey man, I don't, I don't feel comfortable. Let, let, let's, let's get up a little bit higher in case we have something. And, um, and so, you know, great on Manny uh, was like, Roger that. Absolutely. I agree. And, uh, you know, we all have that really healthy relationship, you know, with that, with CRM, it's, it's, everyone has, everyone has a say and can be, uh, can be vocal and uh, no one's going to give nice. the answer. Out of curiosity, like as you're, as he's, um, as Manny's starting to fly out and you, and I, I know you can see what's going on. Are you helping talking him through the maneuvers and like through like, Back, like, what are you doing backing them up as you're flying out? Yeah, as we're as we're going forward, um, we're, we're feeling the descent. It was a it was a pretty significant descent rate. So he just immediately, I didn't have to say something. Here, okay, we're we're in an EP now. Okay, hard right, and we're still descending. And uh, I'm I think I just said, hey, airspeed, airspeed, and because that's what's going to save us is get that airspeed going. And, and he reacted. I didn't really even have to say anything else. That, you know, he was doing everything. He made the correct inputs at the correct time. And that's what, that's what made the difference. And it was, um, it was, it was, I'll tell you, that was the scariest I think I've ever been in a helicopter. Um, but as it was happening, it was, 
kind of just, you couldn't, I, I it was really weird. It kind of slowed down and um, I'm just looking at the, uh, at the FLI uh, and uh, it's, it's in the red and you hear that gong, that first, that first gong, it's an overtorqued gong and uh, which is fine. Uh, and so finally the descent started to arrest and we were, yeah, about 10 feet above the treetops at that point. And, uh, and it was, yeah. it was, uh, you know, Manny, wow. Manny is an awesome pilot as well. You know, it's, um, it was very complimentary to us, but Manny did, you know, when it mattered, he did the right thing at the right time, made the correct inputs. He didn't make the incorrect inputs that would have made the situation even worse. He knew what he needed to do. Get all of that collective up that you need to, that you need to get, you can get and get that forward airspeed going. That's, what's going to save us. And that's what did save us. Um, Yes, it was good that we did have that extra altitude because we would have been in the trees. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, you know, Manny would have done the same thing for me if, if the roles were reversed. You know, he would have called out the same thing as well. I know it. So, um, yeah, it, it it worked out good. We, we uh, had a very quiet flight on the way back. And uh, once we landed, we secured the aircraft. I called, uh, I called our boss, told him what happened. And I told him, hey, I said, you know what, we're down. We're, we're down for the rest of the shift, man. We had a pretty significant incident. Uh, we're we're kind of shaken up by it. We're uh, debriefing it, and we talked it through. Uh, we did have an exceedance on the main gearbox. It was a it was a, a light one, just required a, a minimal inspection. Um, yeah. So the aircraft was down anyways. But cool. I said, hey, we're we're, we're down. Um, if something pops off, uh, you're gonna have to call in the other guys because we're just we're not in that right frame of mind. We need to. We're we're at the end of our shift anyways, so. Um, I think it was the right call to make and um, came back the next day, talked about it some more. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was, that was an, that was an interesting one. Good, good learning environment. Um, and I would say Damn, anyone man. else listening, if something doesn't feel right, speak up, you got to speak up. You could be wrong. And if you're wrong, fine, whatever, move on. Um, but you could be right. So speak up and say something. And have that kind of culture where you can. Yeah, absolutely. Got to have that kind of culture. Say that again, Manny. I was just saying everybody's input is important in that aircraft, Uh, and we're very tight. Our group is very tight. Our our crew is very tight, and uh, there is no ego in a helicopter. Uh, We set that aside. Uh, Sometimes we say things that are a bit harsh, um, and people might not want to hear but we're thick enough that we take it and we know that it's to, to better us. Uh, you know, and, and in, in this scenario, you know, uh, I didn't feel like Mike was challenging me. I didn't feel like he was questioning my ability. Um, I felt that he was giving me valuable insight based off of his comfort level and his experience. So, um, you know, I, I listened to him and, and he's right. You know, if, if there's something I'm uncomfortable with, I'm very vocal. And, and I'll let people know how I feel. Um, and I would, I would say if something was uncomfortable when Mike's flying, I'll let him know. Uh, in this case, I was flying. Uh, Mike had a suggestion and um, it saved our asses on, on that one. Now, if, if I was to just give some, some uh, feedback, you know, you sit back and you kind of, you think about what you could have done, what you should have done. And there's other options. There's other ways I could have done things as a, as a pilot. Uh, I train in the mountains before I got into the rescue unit as a, as a patrol helicopter. Uh, 
you know, we chase bad guys all the time and we're low level, but I would, I would take the initiative to go up to the mountains after most of my patrol flights and just be proficient at flying in high altitudes with uncomfortable winds, uh, with the aircraft doing things that, that aren't necessarily comfortable, but I know I'm in control, um, kind of like a controlled chaos. Uh, and I intentionally would, would do that because I want to feel comfortable up there. I want to be comfortable in the uncomfortable uh, situations. So I think, you know, by doing that in my, my previous flights, uh, kind of helped with, with us in this flight. Uh, and, and, and I would say to, you know, other pilots that, that are doing mountain rescues, uh, you know, terrain is always different. Winds are always different. Uh, no two rescues are the same. Uh, what I would have done different or what I did the next day when we went back there was instead of trying to get that forward flight, the helicopter has a ton of power. Um, I don't want to give up what I know I have already. That's good. And I know where I'm at. I was good. Uh, I could have waited there, not gone anywhere, let him finish the hoist, let them get inside, and then we could fly off. Um, had I done that, you know, not to say that it would have been much different. I may have st still flown forward flight, started my turn, and still got into that same wind, uh, that wind dynamic that was a downdraft. Um, but what I did the next day was went out there. Once we were done, I came straight up because now – Looking back at it, I picture the winds as water, and the water's coming from one side of the mountain, and that water's downwashed yeah. hard on the other side. So I always picture the wind as water, and if I'm flying straight in and I'm going down to that that break, I'm gonna get smashed. So the next day I said, okay, oh, instead yeah. of going down into that break, let's just climb up, and now we're above that. Then we'll turn and we'll fly out to our our terrain, uh, and we did it the next day and, and similar type. Uh, conditions and and it was uneventful uh so there's always room for improvement you know and that that's why it's important to train uh that's why it's important to be to be humble to listen to not have an ego uh and as a crew uh we'll work with each other and make sure that the next flight's going to be better and that we we learn from our mistakes that i learned from my mistakes that i go back and i tell every crew member at the hangar afterwards sit down i want to tell you guys where i messed up and where we can, what we can do different. So if you're in that same scenario, uh, maybe you'll think of this conversation and you'll realize, you know what, maybe instead of moving into that forward flight uh, profile, stop, bring everybody in, climb and get out of there. Altitude is your friend in a helicopter. So yeah, good teamwork. Awesome, man. Well done. Well done all the way around from CRM to, to, to getting everybody out of there and man, and that's flying. Holy shit. Thank you. Well done, gentlemen. Well done. Well, it seems to be that time because we've hit our bingo. We'll be relaunching for part two of this episode after we refuel. We'll see you soon. Go. Now, it's time for me to pull chocks and take off. But before I go, I'm always looking for the memorable rescues that people have done. If you have one that you're willing to share, or know somebody who has a story, please feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to highlight it here at The Real Rescue. For everybody that is standing by for that SAR alarm, remember, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. So until next time, fly safe and swim hard.
Thank you for joining me today here at the Real Rescue Podcast, powered by Vertical Helicast. We'd also like to say thank you to our sponsors for this episode. Breeze Eastern. For over 80 years, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured battle-proven aerial rescue hoists, winches, and cargo hooks. Each product is carefully crafted to support demanding mission scenarios, ensuring the job gets done safely and efficiently. Visit them today at www.breeze-eastern.com. Hey, rule number 13. Some situations are just too serious to take seriously. Relax. Listen, I get it. I've been there. You just get in a situation that you're so like, oh. Even serious things can just sound so absurd or overwhelming, especially when it's presented in certain ways. So sometimes you just gotta take five. Take that tactical pause. Walk away. Come back to the situation. Seriousness does not necessarily negate humor or levity. Sometimes that lighthearted touch can make such a difference later down on the line. Because, again, some things are just too serious to take seriously.